Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we discuss a different topical safeguarding issue with a range of different guest speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone, welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. So today we have with us Mike, Martin and Vicky, and we're going to be talking about the importance of recording all kinds of concerns within your organisation. Um, let's start with introductions. Mike, do you want to introduce yourself first? Yes, thanks very much, Georgia. Yeah, my name is Mike Glanville. I'm the Chief Safeguarding Officer for, for the company and one of the co-founders. Perfect. Welcome, Mike. <laughs> Martin, you're next. Hi, everybody. I'm Martin Baker. I'm the CEO of the company and, again, a co-founder. Wonderful. And last, but by no means least, we've got the wonderful Vicky with us. Hello. Thank you very much. My name is Vicky Chafe and I am Head of Community Relations here at the Safeguarding Company. Wonderful. I'm really excited to have all three of you in the room today. So to start off, if I'm in an organisation and I'm recording my safeguarding concerns, why is it important for me to record everything that happens in the school and not just the major concerns that could happen? Uh, I think... It's always important to begin with the end in mind. And that's always been our mantra, really, from, from day one of the company. But it's uh, tempting only to record those really big things that you think uh, might have consequences for the future. But the truth is you will never know. And you will never get the full picture if you only ever record those things that might, in your view, become serious in the future. Because the truth is you never know what's going to escalate and you, it, it's like having one piece of a jigsaw and not being able to see the whole picture. So without uh, turning everything into a, a bureaucratic nightmare for everybody, it is really important at the same time to record those things that could potentially escalate or that somebody else might have a view on uh, that you actually need to draw to other people's attention. When we first started the company, one of the, which was back in 20, 2014, um, a lot of listeners will, will know about the Daniel Pelka case. So that was a very well-known case where a young boy was essentially um, in a very small primary school, actually. There's only 200 pupil uh, primary school in the Midlands. And uh, was ultimately, um, you know, uh, eventually died from combination of things but starvation and you know it's very serious assault and uh, over a period of time there are quite a number of concerns reported in the school which weren't necessarily picked up by the safeguarding lead um, so the staff were aware of problems were aware of quite a number of different issues around the child um, which you know you could describe as quite low level <clears throat> but um, didn't come to the attention of the of this of the safeguarding lead and you could argue that if if uh, the safeguarding lead had become aware of that kind of of those kind of problems, he he would have seen that that big picture, you know, around the child. So it's as Martin said, it's really important that staff understand, you know, what they need to be re reporting and why that's important, and the person that's responsible for safeguarding in the school gets to see that big picture. And I think Daniel Pelk is a really good example of where it obviously went, you know, badly wrong. But there's lots and lots of other cases, lots of other serious case reviews that we've seen with very, very similar circumstances where staff, you know, might have had an opportunity to report things or record things and didn't do so. And of course, then you end up with this kind of partial, you know, picture of what's going on. 
and, uh, and all the risk that goes along with that. I had a very wise head once who called them pennies in the bank, yeah. whereas individually they might not seem like very much, but actually by the time that you come to open that piggy bank, an awful lot of pennies can turn into an awful lot of money and it gives you that big picture that actually you wouldn't have seen on those individual pennies because those pennies come from everywhere as well. So it's not just what's going on in the classroom, but what's going on at lunchtime, what's happening with the the dinner ladies. When we were talking about Daniel Pelker, some of the concerns came from the lunchtime organisers where he'd been looking for things in the bin and he'd been... Mm asking for taking food off other people's plates and that along with the other information or the other concerns or pennies um, actually gives you a really big picture of what's going on here. So it's almost like a trail of breadcrumbs, isn't it? And you need all those little pieces put together to kind of realise what is happening to that individual. So I guess my next question is around whose responsibility do you believe it is to report these kinds of concerns? Every organisation should have a safeguarding lead, but is it up to them to manage all of this on their own? No, and working together to safeguard children makes it very clear that safeguarding is everybody's responsibility. Uh, and a school is a community, an organisation is a community, and if you're responsible for safeguarding people, you all have that responsibility to bring to attention of other people, what those concerns might be. Uh, and, you know, it's really important for the, the organisation to be clear about what its policy is and to be clear what the thresholds are uh, for reporting because, it, you know, it would be impossible to report everything that happens in the course of a day. But equally, there will be certain things that are potentially indications or triggers of some much more serious things going on. So it's really important for the organisation to be clear about what those thresholds are and to be as clear about how to report those concerns and to make it easy for people to report those concerns. The more barriers you put in the way, whether they're practical or psychological, the less likely people are to raise those concerns if they think that other people aren't going to take them seriously, for example, or they think that their peers might think that what they're worried about is trivial. Uh, because the truth is, when it comes to protecting children in particular, there's nothing too trivial to, at the very least, to discuss with somebody else and to say, I've noticed this, what do you think? And to actually uh, follow through on any concern, because you never know what the ultimate outcome might be. So uh, don't prejudge situations or go into it with a, the mindset, oh, I've seen something like this before and it didn't turn out to be serious, so on this occasion I'm not going to report it. It's really important to maintain that professional curiosity that you have just to raise the issue and say, I wonder what's going on here, because it could potentially be much more serious. Of course, and I guess it's also empowering your staff and your colleagues like you said to feel comfortable coming forward to report things that they're not really sure if they are safeguarding issues but they might have personal concerns about things yeah very much so uh, and I think it goes to the heart of the culture of your organization and its attitude and the attitude of the people within it towards safeguarding do you have a culture 
where actually you can talk openly. You can raise concerns, you can discuss issues, you can take advice from each other, you can keep an open mind without making assumptions. Or have you got a culture that actually closes down many avenues and options because it's actually not acceptable to report a concern or you're made to feel silly if you report a concern. So that culture is really what drives reporting uh, and ultimately risk assessment and management. And it's the wide, it's much wider than just with people within the organisation, isn't it? It's creating that culture for the community to feel that they can come and speak to you about concerns that they may have about children or young adults or the parents or even all the clubs that might be going on around any anybody that is a stakeholder within that child's life needs to to understand that actually you're part of our culture as well and it's important yeah. that you share those concerns with us. Yeah, no, it's essential. I think we saw that last year, didn't we, with the the Everyone's Invited website. You know, we had what, 20, over 20,000 testimonials altogether. Um, you know, and I think the, the, the peer-on-peer um, issues that came out of uh, those testimonials, I think, showed just how important it is for uh, schools especially to be in a position to... Um, be able to identify those kinds of problems, and we know, you know, we know from the uh, from the testimonials that quite a quite a large number of pupils don't report those kind of problems, and they don't report those problems for a number of different reasons. You know, where they don't feel comfortable about reporting, you know, concerns to adults in the school. They feel that it might be treated as a some kind of snitch, and clearly the culture is kind of acting against. Um, you know, not encouraging pupils to report those types of concerns for, for a very good reason. So like Martin said, it's really important to get the culture right so you're actually then in a position to you know, promote and encourage uh, pupils especially to be able to report those kinds of issues. You know? um, and like you say, Vicky, you know, the wider community, um, the, the wider stakeholder community is really important. You know, parents need to be, I think, really uh, more involved, um, you know, in in, the, in respect of reporting concerns, particularly online safety, which again, online safety is the thing which is happening almost in front of people. Um, it's really difficult to get underneath that. It's very difficult to understand, you know, um, you know, if pupils are being you know bullied and harassed online, unless they tell you about it. Um, so in order to do that, you need the support of parents, you need the support of you know, peers in school, you need the support of um, obviously professional adults uh, in school to really get underneath some of those problems because they're really difficult to get into some of those issues. You mentioned um, everyone's invited and the issue of peer-on-peer abuse. I know that a lot of those cases did not actually occur on school grounds or within organisations. So what would you say to people about reporting things that don't happen on those grounds? Yeah, I think that that's an excellent question. And I think it goes to the heart of, of, of a couple of issues, one of which is actually safeguarding risks span all age groups. So while in some instances there's a focus on very young children and certain risks, actually these risks go right into early adulthood and beyond. Um so if you look at, for example, mental health issues, uh, uh, issues like suicidal thoughts and so on and so forth, and, and very unfortunately suicidal acts, 
these quite often occur in adolescents and young adults. So the people closest to them, who will quite often be the peers, well, actually, and if they're living away from home at university, for example, it will almost certainly be the peers that will notice changes uh, in a student's personality that might cause them uh, a concern about their friend. So I think there is that issue about you need to be very open-minded about this. This is not a particular age group or a particular issue in an age group. It can span many age groups. But it also goes to the heart of contextual safeguarding in terms of whether it happens in the school or in the classroom or the lecture theatre or whether it happens outside in a social setting, if it happens outside in the street, actually creating a culture where people feel empowered to report those concerns wherever they're happening, not on the basis of I want to tell on somebody, but actually on the basis of I want to help somebody, I want to support somebody, I want to be the good friend that actually makes this possible is a really, really important aspect because you cannot do a proper risk assessment actually of the situation unless you look uh, at what's going on in that person's universe. And if you put uh, the person at the centre of your consideration and ask yourself what's going on in their universe, all of the potentially low-level concerns that have been reported start to build that picture. And if you look at that picture in the context of what's happening to them, not only in your setting, but what you learn about what's happening to them outside your setting as well, you're going to be much better placed to be able to provide support to them. And the guidance now is very clear that you should be reporting or recording those concerns, you know, those concerns that are happening outside of the school. So I think it's really important, as Martin said, that you're recording, you know, all of those issues so you can get that big picture, you know, and getting a really good understanding of the risk around that, around that child. It's, it's essential. Yeah. It just, it goes back to the whole jigsaw pieces, doesn't it? And it's exactly said by the, it's really important that your organisation understands contextualised safeguarding, because that's the way that we're going to be able to to protect and have a more proactive approach towards safeguarding. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a bit of an example. So, you know, if you're recording concerns in a school, what you need to be thinking about is locations particularly. So you need to be thinking about where this is happening. And it's one of the things that can be quite difficult to do. But if you've got good systems in place, you should be in a position to identify specifically where things are happening, both inside the school and outside the school as well. Um, both are important, but it starts to then build up a picture of, of risk, you know, because if, for example, you're finding that actually a lot of these concerns, these peer-on-peer abuse type incidents, for example, are taking a place in a particular location in the school, you can actually do something practical about that particular problem. You know, you can put in, you know, practical interventions to, to help, you know, um, minimise the risk in that particular area. And it's telling you something about the kind of you know problem it is you know just by merely understanding where things are happening and the same thing would apply to um, you know concerns that are taking place away from the school you know if you've got a really good understanding of risk and you understand that actually you know uh, a lot of concerns are taking place in a particular park or in a or in the bus bus stop just down the road or you know, or even, you know, uh, you know, a significant uh, portion of those concerns are taking place in the home. It's, it's telling you something 
Um, and it makes it much easier, I think, think then to start taking you know, informed decisions about managing that particular risk around that particular individual or around a particular group of individuals, you know, if they, if they happen to be vulnerable. So that kind of information is essential. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, if you look back over probably the last five, five or six years, I think that's where things have moved, you know, shifted, you know, quite a bit in terms of, um, you know, safeguarding. Things are getting, you know, we are getting, I think, down to that more, you know, granular level where we're getting a lot more information about where things are happening. And it's essential, I think, for safeguarding leads to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Just based on this discussion, it sounds like not only is there a need for staff to be trained on reporting and identifying safeguarding concerns, but also for students, adults, parents, for them to understand what a safeguarding concern is as well, so that if they have a concern, say a parent sees another child with bruises or um, you identify a colleague who seems to be quite depressed that you feel empowered to tell someone about that what would you guys recommend organizations do to empower the children the teenagers the young people the adults so that they can identify concerns as well i think that's a critical part of the culture that you create uh, and the communication because culture drives attitude behavior and communication it drives you know, how people think about things, how they act, uh, and how they communicate with others. So it's really, really important as a key part of working with staff, working with parents, working with students, that communication uh, is a really strong part of your armory in your safeguarding strategy, so that people do know what to look for. Uh, and there are some really simple kind of things that you can do, just to look, for example, take staff, how many of your staff report safeguarding concerns frequently and perhaps aren't confident enough to deal with some of the day-to-day -day issues themselves? They want to report everything and refer it up to somebody else because they don't feel confident enough to deal with some of the things that they're faced with. Equally, have you got staff members who never report anything? And you should be asking yourself a similar question about why is that? Is it because they never witness anything that might be worth recording or actually don't they understand what it is that they're supposed to be recording because you haven't communicated that strongly enough with them so communication is absolutely critical and empowering people and giving them permission and encouraging them to report their concerns because would you far rather report something that turned out not to be uh, essential or, or turned out not to be relevant rather than being worried about reporting something, never reporting it, and it turns out to be absolutely critical. So communication you know, is a key, key part of your approach. Yeah, I'd agree with that, absolutely. I think one really important kind of element of that communication is the why. You know, why, you know, if, if you understand why you need to be reporting something, you know, it makes it so much easier um, to then you know, be in a position to record the right things at the right time, um, particularly if those concerns are kind of you know, what I would describe as low level. So the, the small things, you know, why is it important to rec record those small things? You know, so you know, like you say, you know, parents need to understand that as much as staff need to understand 
those things. So that kind of, I'd say Martin has said, you know, the communication around that particular issue, the, what the why issue, I think is really important. And then making it as easy as possible for people to be able to report concerns. So again, if we go back to peer-on-peer -peer abuse, I think one of the reasons why that's been a difficult issue and why there's been a lot of under-reporting is because people simply don't feel confident enough to be able to report things. And like I say, there's a number of different reasons, you know, as to why that is. But, you know, it's those, those issues, you know, are, are, the, are the things that schools need to be, to be able to tackle, I think, to make it easy or easier for, for people to report um, those types of concerns. So, yeah, the why is important, but also, you know, making it easy for people to do so. I've always thought about it as a drip feeding culture as well. So it's a conversation that happens all the time and it's not just specific times of the year. So we always talk about safeguarding an inset, but actually what can we be doing to talk about it every week? So what can we be doing in staff meetings? What can we be doing in assemblies? What can we be doing with our parent workshops and making sure that it it's all the time and it's that ongoing conversation as well that's really important to to build that culture and that communication and then from that the open culture then becomes clear for everybody that's involved yeah totally yeah it's almost like you need to normalize talking about safeguarding openly within the organization and mike you mentioned low level concerns i was just wondering if you could give us some examples of concerns that maybe people who don't understand safeguarding as well might not realise it could lead to quite serious issues. Yeah. I mean, the, the new Kixi guidance, the guidance that came out in September, back in September 2021. <clears throat> I mean, now there's a whole new section of part four of that guidance, which talks about low-level concerns, but it, it's talking about low-level low concerns in the context of staff. So, uh, well, it could be anybody actually working, any adult actually working in the school. So it applies to volunteers, governors, and so on as well. And uh, I think that guidance is, you know, really now talking about any kind of behaviour which could either breach the code of conduct or it's a, um, a concern which could, um, where, where somebody's got uh, concerns about somebody's inappropriate behaviour with children in a school setting. Um, and it could even be beha behaviour away from the school. So any kind of concern about an adult in those sorts of circumstances, um, you know, uh, needs to be reported. Um, now, that's statutory guidance now. Uh, so schools are now grappling with, with you know, their policies and their procedures uh, to make sure they comply with that guidance. And there's some quite, you know, tricky, you know, things to think about because, you know, it is not easy, you know, for adults to report, sometimes report, things about their colleagues you know you're reporting concerns about a colleague and um, I mean even the guidance talks about you know if you even if you've got a nagging doubt you know about a colleague you need to be reporting that so um, so you know where do you draw the line in terms of reporting concerns of that type you know where is the threshold so the communication going back to the communication thing again um, you know the communication with staff in terms of what you should be recording is is critical obviously. But it should be, it could be anything, to be honest with you, Georgia, it could be anything that gives you, you know, you, you, you may, it just might be something that makes you feel very uncomfortable. So it could be an overheard conversation between, you know, a teacher and a child 
which makes you feel uncomfortable. For whatever reason, that kind of thing needs to be reported. It could be the fact that somebody's, you know, um, in a in a classroom with a child on their own, and they and they and they themselves feel uncomfortable. So it's something they feel they need to self-refer, and that's a that's a that's a thing that um, you know we're coming across more often as well. You know, a lot of schools now encouraging staff to self-refer. So if you feel uncomfortable in a t- particular situation, report it. Um, and it goes back to this cultural thing, you know, really encouraging an open and transparent culture in the school. You know, that's what's really important. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, it's really difficult, I think, to kind of, you know, come up with a, a nice convenient list of, uh, of the kind of concerns that you should be reporting. Um, it could be any kind of situation where you, you, you as an individual feel uncomfortable either about somebody else's behaviour or, about, or even feel uncomfortable um, in, in the situation for yourself, and it's something you feel you need to be reporting. Well, I think that goes to the heart of your word, Georgia, about normalising these types of conversations. Um, you know, there's many, many examples, isn't there, of things like drink driving, mm. wearing of seatbelts, all those things over time, we have normalised the fact that they are unacceptable. Uh, and you must wear a seatbelt and you shouldn't drink a driver and those sorts of things. And it really is that kind of cultural shift where we're not treating safeguarding uh, as only something that's about uh, really serious child protection issues that requires a formal procedure every single time, but actually where people can talk to each other about things that make them feel uncomfortable for any reason uh, and actually get the support to identify why is that making me feel uncomfortable and having to express it to somebody else is a really good way of sorting your own thoughts out, actually, about, so why did that make me feel uncomfortable? If you're going to talk to somebody else about it, you've got to think through why that is and explain to them why that is. Uh, And therefore, you know, it does become a normal course of conversation uh, rather than uh, something that has to be submitted to some high-level process, uh, you know, where there's a really high barrier before we actually talk to each other like human beings about something that's just made us feel a bit uncomfortable and I need to share that with somebody, I need to explore that with somebody. We might have to put it into a formal process. It might form part of a bigger picture. But first of all, let's talk to each other. Well, that's how changes happen as well, isn't it? You know, I... I remember a particular time where a teaching assistant felt really uncomfortable when they were taking children to the swimming pool to get changed Mm -hmm. and because it was primary school it was um, a swimming pool that had general public that came in and actually she felt really really uncomfortable about this and it was only when she came back and she spoke to us as a senior leadership team that we could actually put something in place for that so it is having that conversation for anything that makes you feel really uncomfortable. And then that's how change happens from it. Thank you. Um, I want to thank all of you for joining me here today to talk about the importance of recording all kinds of concerns and for providing us with all of your expertise. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. So Thanks very much. Thanks, thank George. you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com.